0: for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 302 of the podcast. It's March 21st, 2018. Joining me today for the third time is Katie Anderson, and today we're chatting because I've just returned from a short trip to Japan, and Katie is going back in May. And you can join her. We'll talk about that in the podcast. And you can find more in the show notes by going to leanblog.org slash 302. Today we are I'm having a conversation, sharing observations and reflections on topics ranging from standardized work to Kaizen. Uh, would it be easier to "Quote unquote implement lean" or whatever term you would use if you're a Japanese organization. And what are some of the approaches you see with quality improvement and lean in Japan's hospitals? We also end up kind of meandering into topics like sushi and vending machines and uh, and, and other other things related to Japan and some of the lessons and takeaways from going and visiting that country. Um, so again, um, for more information, go to leanblog.org/302. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, Katie. Thank you for being back on the podcast. How are you?
1: Thanks, Mark. I'm great today, and I'm super excited to be talking to you about um, our mutual experiences in Japan and uh, follow up from our our past conversations.
0: Yeah, and I'll you know point to the listeners. Uh, Katie and I have talked on the podcast twice before, episode two thirty three from late twenty fifteen. Uh, when Katie uh, was living in Japan, and then we did episode 275 uh, in February 2017, uh, with some of her reflections after uh, she was back. So I encourage you to go find those episodes if you like. Um, but we're uh, going to be talking about um, kind of you know, recent observations that we've both had, um, future observations uh, that I'm sure um, Katie will be blogging about. So Katie, you know, maybe you can give kind of a nutshell summary. For people who didn't listen to the first episodes, um, you know about your experience living in Japan.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so, gosh, it was almost about three and a half years ago. My husband sent me a message saying, "Hey, I have a work. I have an opportunity for my work to go um, for all of us to go move to Japan. What do you think?" And as a lean practitioner, I was thrilled by the idea of um, going to be able to go learn lean from the source and uh, have that time in Japan. So it was just over three years ago that we actually moved to Japan with uh, our family, our two little boys, and moved to Tokyo. And during, we were there for 18 months. And during that time, I really wanted to put intention around learning as much about Japan, about Toyota, about how uh, lean practices, even though there's no Japanese word for lean, but how it's some of those Toyota pr- uh, production practices are uh, used in different areas in Japan. And I started writing a blog about it because I wanted to share not only what I was learning for myself, but to share it more broadly. And so all of that started about three years ago. And then we moved back to the United States just over 18 months ago. And since that time, I'm super excited that I am continuing to use my connections and uh, experiences to be able to share with others. I've been back to Japan three times, twice on my own and once um, as part of a planning trip for a study trip that I'm leading on behalf of the Ohio State University's MBOE program this coming May. And actually, we have a few spots still open for that trip that we're um, offering is open enrollment, so you don't have to have a connection with the MBOE program or Ohio State. Um, so if you want to come along, uh, Mark will have a con- probably provide a link or contact me directly we'd love to have you be part of that that's uh, may 12th to 19th but so i'm going back to japan again for the fourth time since i've left in may and i'm um, super thrilled i've have this deep connection to um to japan and the experiences there i want to keep learning and sharing
0: yeah and i would encourage people go um for one read katie's blog at kbjanderson.com there's a link at the top about um, more information about the trip so if you just go to kbjanderson.com and there's information there and you know we yeah i just got back from a trip uh, about 10 days ago that was my third time ever to japan uh, all in the last five years um so you know and we're going to structure you know for the listeners we're going to structure this as as more of a conversation than an interview because I'm I'm curious to um, hear more of, of Katie's impressions and you know I've only spent a total of 30 days of my life there you you spent 18 months there and you know so I may have impressions they might even still be first impressions and um, we're, we're going to bounce uh, some some themes and topics back and forth here
1: yeah great and it's it's exciting for me because you had been to Japan in the three years since I've moved there. So this is our, like, our first time to sort of more freshly talk about um, our different experiences, so that's great.
0: So one of the themes we're gonna talk about today is um, uh, standard work, or, or standardized work, and you know my impressions of what I've seen in those trips. So you know, I'm thinking back to uh, a Toyota um, operations consulting division, guidebook that um, that was given to me years ago and there's a page there that talks about the interplay between standard work and kaizen and they literally drew sort of a a circular diagram of one feeding into the other and it said in the guidebook kind of yin and yang chicken egg Uh, kaizen Mm -hmm. is the lifeblood of standard work and standard work is the basis for kaizen so when people ask or I hear the comment um, you know i hear your reactions on on this you know, when people say like, oh lean would be easier if we were japanese mm-hmm. like i'm not sure from three visits there and visiting and talking to organizations if if that really is true because it seems like it seems to me in terms of pros and cons that japanese culture and japanese business culture more typically would rank very high on the adherence to standard work <laughs> scale the following rules but there might be some challenges about getting about people being comfortable um, sticking their neck out and speaking up and, and raising a Kaizen idea. So it seems like Toyota has had to work very intentionally to create uh, a culture of continuous improvement so maybe just to to throw it back over to you katie and kind of unravel things to react to i mean for one what's your reaction if people say oh this would be easier if we were let's say a hospital in japan
1: yeah so you know again all these comments are based on you know of course generalizations on people individuals always see always you know there's there's nuances and not not every person fits the stereotype but I, i i agree with you on that sort of broad General brushstroke that there is a cultural um, preference, or maybe it's, it's taught through about to people about obeying the rules. I mean, I know you I saw a photo that you posted recently on one of your blog posts that you know no one jaywalks. I mean, mm-hmm. they follow the rules; they don't they don't jaywalk, and so perhaps that makes adherence to standard work a little bit easier um, in Japanese culture because that's ingrained so early on, but. You know, I certainly do not believe that, um, you know, if you go to Japan, you realize quickly that not every company is Toyota, and that, um, that, as you said, Toyota's had to work really hard to create its own unique culture, and to counter some of those other um, cultural habits and traits that that really might run counter to what we in the West have, see as lean thinking and practice, and I've written about that for, the, um, for Planet Lean and the Lean Post, and then of of course, on my blog too. Just as I was living there and and, and having these different experiences, that sort of, to me, ran count, counter to what one might expect uh, if you thought that all of Japan was really uh, like Toyota. So I think there's always challenges to any culture um, at the you know at the national culture level or even a company culture that's different. You know, Nissan is very different than Toyota from Mazda. They all have really different ways that they. Um, have ma- what their management practices and how they develop people. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I've seen is really, really unique. What the thread that I see that ties a lot of companies who are doing uh, what we might say great lean work isn't always about the production processes, but are really around uh, respect for people and engaging people every day in problem solving, and and really that that. Uh, that focus on on people first, and I think some sometimes maybe we've missed that a bit in the West, where we saw the tools first and and didn't focus as much on on the people. So, yeah. Uh, but no, but companies aren't perfect. Or in, in Japan, that's not. And Toyota has to work on you know work at it each and every day to to continue their culture as well. And I know there's been hiccups with that in the last decade as yeah. it's really expanded. Yeah.
0: But, you know, and it's funny when we think about this, you know, because one of um, our, our Japanese facilitators there on the last trip made a comment about, like, you know, we're Japanese, we follow the rules, you know, and um, there, you know, you, there's, the, I, I did see one Jay Walker and I sent you a message about that. Yeah, yeah. We were trading yeah. messages while I was there. Look, I saw one. Um, but, you know, I, I think of, um, you know, kind of just guidelines around order and discipline that if. The rules say you stand on this arrow while you're waiting uh, in line to buy train tickets. People stand on the arrow. If there's, you know, uh, you take your shoes off and, you know, the expectation is that you don't just take your shoes off, but you line your shoes up neatly. And, you know, we had one of our factory visits there where, you know, I I wasn't really mindful of that. Um, And and as we're on the way back out, I looked and somebody lined up our shoes more neatly then we had left them and i was sort of embarrassed that oh, we shouldn't yeah. we should have done we should have done better um but you know it's you know not we haven't read about this with toyota but we've read um you know in the news about um, steel steel company and a few other companies uh in japan where there were some fairly embarrassing stories where you know there were falsifying um, yep. quality inspection records and um, like you said you know P- companies people aren't perfect you know i don't know why people didn't follow the rules in those cases but it seems like if i've heard the word kata over there not in the context of mike rother's work but you know if you work at a store you you're taught a kata for how you interact with the customer and wrap what they've bought so that that seems another example what 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 types of things did you see well
1: for sure and the word kata you know has Two meanings, one's a specific routine that you practice, and then the other is the way of the way of doing things. And so mm-hmm. you know Mike Rother you know took Toyota Kata and, and used that word to describe a certain pattern of behavior that he observed in Toyota, both around uh, problem solving and then coaching. But that's just one, one pattern. In, in Japan, there really is kata for everything. And as a Westerner, as a foreigner, we're given a bit of a pass for not understanding or knowing the kata that really, truly runs everyday life. I read an interesting book that was written, oh gosh, in the 80s, I think, called uh, Behind the Japanese Bow that talks a lot about the history and context of kata. Now, it is definitely from a Western mm. uh, perspective and, and several decades old, but I, I found it helpful context to understand how the role of kata patterns and routines and sort of rules really influence day-to-day Japanese um, behavior and engagement with each other. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, there's kata everywhere. It's, it, there's specific ways you're supposed to behave in, in every circumstance.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and and our guides, you know, i would mentioned the same thing when I've been there that the Japanese are more forgiving of an outsider not knowing any better. Um I you know, in the south people say, "Oh, bless their heart" if they were doing something that right. really violated norms. I don't know if the right. Japanese have a similar
1: Well, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: But um, but, you know, that's not carte blanche to to be an ugly American like that one YouTube knucklehead oh, who, no, you know, was some... filming videos and, and embarrassing. That was horrible. Americans, yeah. uh, you know, different yeah. ways. But, you know, I think, you know, I was there. It's interesting to see things that stand out like, you know, after the um, subway sarin gas um, terrorist incident, you know, in the early ni- 1990s. Um, you know, it's hard to, find. that's one explanation I've heard for why there are very few public trash cans. And so mm. like if you buy a canned coffee, it seems like the expectation is you either drink it there and throw it away yep. at the bin that's attached basically to the vending machine. Or, yeah, you know, I think I'm violating norms a bit by, you know, maybe walking down the street and drinking a beverage, um, but, you know, I'll throw it away when I see a different vending machine um, I've heard stories you know people will carry their trash around all yes. day until they get home you yes had to do that or so oh my
1: gosh that. all the time well all the time you, there are very few there are very few trash cans and you know I've heard a few reasons behind that but one is you know trash is very expensive and so mm. you kind of expect it to take care of your own but you don't see litter on the ground people don't just toss it <laughs> off the ground you really do carry it with yourself and either find a vending machine that has a very small hole that you can put some trash in, or you you take it with you. And I think some of that comes, you know, also around that respect for society. It's a small mm-hmm. island nation, mm-hmm. and that came from rice farming, where there was a lot of cooperation that was required for society to exist. Um, it wasn't individualistic, and so that. The, and then there's the whole um, samurai culture and around rules and and following the rules. Mm-hmm. And so those have really influenced day-to-day life. And, you know, walking around eating or drinking is actually very rude. Um, but it's changing, I hear, you know, with the advent of so many Starbucks everywhere. People now walk around with their coffee. So as Japan's getting more influenced from outside the country, things are starting to shift because, you know, just there are more influences from yeah. other cultures as well.
0: So one example I heard about some of that Western influence um, is around eating sushi, and somebody said that generally um, nigiri or rolls would always be considered finger food, that sashimi would be picked up for people who aren't in the sushi. Sashimi is just a a slice of fish with no rice underneath and, you know, that you would use chopsticks for that, that the idea that you would pick up a piece of nigiri with your chopsticks, so like, yeah, that we have, that's sort of been well, brought into the country by Americans.
1: Well, right. It's actually quite awkward to pick up a piece of sushi on rice with, uh, yeah. with the cho- with chopsticks. Also, never mix your wasabi with your soy <laughs> sauce. Put that on the side. Uh, it's actually been very hard for me to come back to the U.S. and go out for Japanese food, especially um, sushi and sashimi, because you know we in america love everything bigger and so we want yeah. bigger fish, pieces of fish and uh, sushi mm-hmm. but you're supposed to eat be able to eat a whole piece at once
0: right you're supposed to just throw it all in your mouth right yes so uh but yeah i mean, I, I, I wrote a blog post um about you know i took a sushi making class and we learned how to make sushi and of course there yep. were many many rules and then he talked about how to eat sushi uh don't take a bite off of the piece of sushi don't dip the yep. rice into no. the soy sauce, it'll fall apart. It'll fall apart. He yep. said, uh, "Oh, it makes a little Mount Fuji of rice in the dish." And yep. so, I and I, uh, part of the concern there, you, know, you talk about this, you know, this history of rice, and you know, he was very, very specific when you know he had already cooked rice, but then he taught us how to mix in the sushi vinegar and 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 how to work with it, and he he was very clear that. You know, even though you're supposed to dip your hands in water and you don't want rice sticking to your hands. Um, if it does stick, here's a wet towel. Wipe the rice back into the bowl. And if the, like he did I mean, mm. we used every single last grain of rice in that bowl. And I think there was a real uh respect for for mm. the rice or not wasting mm. food and, and like, you know, he was very um intentional about that.
1: Uh, absolutely. You're you're as you're talking, it's it's reminding me of an experience I had in January and actually we'll be including this in our trip in May to Japan, but visiting an elementary school outside of Nagoya and part of, you may have seen some of the videos, but in starting at very young age, children learn how to not only um, serve each other, so they mm-hmm. rotate and actually serve lunch, but they are only supposed to serve what they actually can eat. So there's no wasted food uh, and they're expected to eat what they what they serve and you know with the younger kids as they're starting to learn that there's some flexibility but um but it really again it's found that respect for our community respect for the food that we have opposed to all the waste that we you know in the west that <laughs> we just have yeah. with food and other things too
0: yeah. so
1: it's uh, that that respect for is really uh deeply ingrained in in The society,
0: yeah. Well, and one other thing when you talk about, um, you know, uh, sort ter- um, you know, variation, um, and that's where I think of you know, standardized work versus standard work. The sushi chef uh, mm. was saying, ideally, like as, as you were saying, you know, you, you're supposed to be able to put the whole piece of nigiri in your mouth, you should be sizing the piece especially the rice to each customer's mouth yes and if you have a customer with a smaller mouth and i think he was generalizing so it might be a woman yes. well, she's yeah. a smaller you should serve a smaller piece of uh, nigiri and and so i thought there's an interesting definition of standard standard doesn't mean that there's a rice ball that weighs x number of grams but right. it, the standard says and there's certainly standard for how it's formed and Um, press together with the fish and serve but that standard could be flexible
1: right to meet the needs
0: of the customer of that customer yep yeah I suppose so I you know I you know if you have a smaller mouth you might feel a little bit ripped off though that's the (laughs) thing of the price varies
1: (laughs) no the price definitely Um, usually does not vary but um, yeah it's. I think it's just interesting the different you know the lens at which we look at situations and behavior based on sort of the norms that we were taught in our countries of origin or, you know, cultures of origin uh, and how, how we see those different nuances. Mm
0: -hmm. So the next topic, maybe we'll go ahead and transition over to the idea of, um, you know, customer focus or customer obsession. You know, it's not uniquely Japanese, you know, Amazon, I think uses the phrase, um, customer obsession and uh, other com- uh, companies are known for that. But, you know, when I, I think, you know, in a previous visit, there was a manufacturing company that had a big sign that said literally, and it was in um, Japanese and English. It said, uh, the customer is God, which is a, you know, uh, so might not rub everyone the right way, but I think the idea is, you yeah. know, customers are very important. And, you know, you, you have a story from your most recent trip over that you blogged about, um, from a restaurant that I was hoping you would yeah,
1: share. Yeah, absolutely. It was, we had this, I had this experience within the 10-hour period. We had three very like amazing Japanese, only in Japan, experiences that happened. The first was not around this concept of customer service or motenashi, is the word in, in Japan. Uh, but I'll start off with there, because it sort of set the stage for everything. My friend who lives in Japan uh, left her wallet on the bus but all of us like, were totally blasé about it. Like, no big deal. She'll check in four hours. It will definitely be returned. Like, we were fully confident that it would be returned. And we just continued to go out to lunch. And sure enough, four hours later, she checked back. And, and there it was. And then on our way back to the train station, there was a woman. You can go to my blog post about this. Like, holding her arms out. and It was a busy train station. And we thought, oh, okay, this is where we should be lining up. And she looked at us with horror in her eyes because we were... You know, standing right where she actually did not want us to stand, we looked up and there was tiny, tiny, every so often drips of water coming, and she was protecting us from the water falling oh. on our. And I was wow. like, I was like, wherever would this happen um, besides <laughs> Japan? And that set us up for like the the super amazing experience that evening, which is really a sign of how just little things. We can take them to go make an experience over and beyond uh, what a customer might might even expect from a, a good or great experience. So we were at a we were at a restaurant, and you know, they're all, all the restaurants are small. And at the end of our meal, we we left, and we were actually in Japan in January, which was the coldest uh, weather temperatures that Japan, that Tokyo or Japan had experienced in like almost fifty years. So it was really cold, sub zero Celsius tem- uh, temperatures. Anyway, we put our jackets on and as we were walking out to get a taxi, you put your hands in your pocket and they had put the those little hand warmers in each of our pockets. And the it was just chemical like. Packs? The, yeah, the way you like you know you take oh. them skiing and put them in your gloves yeah. and you shake them out and they like hot for eight hours. It was amazing. It was just like totally unexpected and this it was just and so appreciated. My husband and I actually ran back to the restaurant to tell them thank you. And of course, uh. in freezing temperatures, Our two servers were standing outside the restaurant in just their, you know, regular clothes, um, bowing with big smiles on their face, and just uh, so we said thank you, thank you um, in Japanese to them, and it was just, it was just to me showed how you can really delight a customer by doing something as small and simple as putting hand warmers in their pockets on a cold night, and and how you know we can do that here in the West too, but it's just. That concept of emotion, motanashi and really exceeding a service standard um, is yeah. really—it's—it's it's pervasive um, across Japan. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's touching when you said, like, um, you said the bows, the waves when you leave, or like when we went um, on visits on on our tours. Um, you know, we'd be on the bus and driving away, and our, our hosts or the company president or somebody would be there um, waving, and, and we, you know, we we would you know wave <laughs> the entire time until like they couldn't see us anymore. Yes,
1: you have to, yeah, wave, 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 because that's they want to show their their respect for you, and and really it should be your respect for them. They've taken time yes. out of their day to, um, to to show us, you know, show you what their company and take yeah. them inside. You know, but you and I've also talked about how uh, it's sort of this interesting contrast in Japan, where you know there's this amazing sense of customer service and just like the bowing and the respect and the um, the beautiful wrapping and, and and all of those like small little touches that just makes things beautiful and mm-hmm. and special. And yet, at the same time, don't ask for any customization. Like if you want something that's off, Different from how, say, uh, something is served. Mm-hmm. Don't dare ask for it because that's that's breaking the rules. And uh, and most often than not, they'll come back and say, ah, oh, that's very difficult. We can't do that. Uh, you know, you're like, well, you don't need to put a tomato on the sandwich, but no, it you know, it comes with the tomato. And you learn pretty quickly when you spend some time in Japan. It just don't the, the level of customization that we. Might equate with customer service in the West is not yeah. as that's um, not what customer service means over there. So it's just an interesting reflection on what does customer service mean, um, and it may that may differ by by sort of our cultural preferences or expectations.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I, I was yeah there was one time where I, I thought maybe we violated some rules. I was going to point out first. You know, I just did a Google search those hand warmers a yeah. pair of those if you buy them in a a box of 40 pair are about 60 cents a pair so you think of like what a small investment that is in uh making and and not you know uh, delighting surprising um your customer with something totally unexpected right right That's i mean it was a...
1: it was it was pretty mind blowing it was awesome yeah. <laughs>
0: But i think you know the one the one time you know there there were a couple times we went in some small groups you know i was there uh you know the tour was kind of you know all-inclusive from monday morning through friday afternoon but there was a group of us that went out uh the sunday night it was a smaller group and we went to dinner on our own and then the second thing similar thing happened when i was uh, in tokyo after the tour on a, a walking food tour that was run through a company and there were like, you know, seven of us. And we decided to stop and have uh, a separate drink that was going to be out of our own pocket that wasn't included in in the tour. And we bought one uh, for our guide. And, you know, so there were like six or seven of us who had ordered different things. And the two times we asked a server um, to to split a check at the one restaurant, I'm pretty sure the server, he kind of rolled his eyes at us. And the woman at the bar was a little bit more like, well, it would be it would be difficult. And she put together a single bill and we're like, okay, we'll figure it out. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, should we have known better than to ask? Or was that just maybe a rare moment of, um, service that was, did you have experiences with that splitting checks or was that just not done?
1: I just, I, I think I would have learned pretty quickly that, that just, just go with how it is. (laughs) Don't ask. Something separate, I mean, it's, it, yeah. and that's that's fine. It's also about fitting in with the culture and expectations, you know, of the country you're in, and, and having your respect for for that yeah. too. But no, I mean, you wouldn't know that necessarily coming from yeah. uh, or, I think some restaurants might have done that, but oh. uh, you know, probably not mo- more generally.
0: Yeah, I'm, um, look, I'm looking at a, a post on TripAdvisor where a couple of people say, um, unless it's a busy izakaya, there's a term betsu betsu.
1: I don't know that one.
0: And I don't know, but so some people say it sounds like it's not completely unheard of, but yeah, maybe it depends on which places you're, you're yeah. looking at. But, you know, you talk about the, the lost wallet story or the the left behind wallet. You know, I had a similar thing. Uh, you know, I blogged about this. I was at the Tsukiji Fish Market and. I think I was just like excited that I had the opportunity to eat uni out of a, a cut and half sea urchin have you are you an are you an uni fan? I am not
1: an uni fan, but okay. uh yeah. I can appreciate from those who are that the level the quality of uni that you get in Japan is is unparalleled yeah
0: so uh i I think I was you know I was just oh, like oh wow, look at that, and I was excited, and the price was an even one thousand yen, or a little less right. than ten dollars, yep. and um, unlike Europe, where the bills are different sizes, and I'm not blaming <laughs> the system here. This is my screw up. Um, I handed, I thought, okay, well, I'll hand them a one thousand yen note and walk away. But at least I followed the norm of. It seemed like the norm is, you know, you, you stand and eat the food where you bought it because yes. they have they have a trash can that was pretty clearly labeled for their customers' trash. Mm-hmm. And so I'm standing there. And I think I'd taken a bite or two. I was just loving the zuni. And one of the guys from the stand comes out and around and he comes over and he's holding some other bills. Apparently, I had mistakenly given him a 10,000 yen note. <laughs> Overpaid about, by like $90. About a $90 mistake. Yeah. And I would have never been, I probably would have never realized it. No. Yeah. And. So he came over and he's like, basically, you know, uh, you forgot your change. (laughs) And then I realized what I had done. Yeah, you're like, oh, my change. (laughs) And he joked and he's like, unless you want me to keep it. (laughs) I was like, thank you. Thank you. And and apologizing because now I've interrupted his workflow. He was good natured about it, but I did feel terrible. Yeah. (laughs) I was embarrassed.
1: Oh, Gaijin Um, moment. Foreigner moment. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: And. You know, as as we're talking, I'm reflecting. Like, what you know, going to Japan is so. It's, I mean, just from the food and the the culture, expect uh, experience is so amazing. But as like lean practitioners, I think it's so helpful to see that what are those things that you know might be culturally influencing different elements of practice, and what are things that are different, and and the, to just open our eyes and sort of challenge our own assumptions about culture and Toyota and what lean is and what does it really mean to respect people and uh, just having those experiences outside of our own uh, expectations of what the norm is Mm -hmm. can help us see things in a different way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the way I would put it when you're in such a different environment, I think it really forces you to pay attention to everything. And that could be tiring. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're in familiar circumstances, it's easy to kind of go on autopilot, but I think it, it helps you notice little details uh, about um, the site visits and just the way things are conducted and, and maybe, you know, a we'll transition and talk a little bit about experiences diff- visiting different hospitals. Um, my experience is that you know, I, you know I think we're it's a it's a non-random population of hospitals that are selected to go and visit, and they're they're not all they're, I haven't seen any um, hospital that's sort of magically by default lean. It's something they are having to work on. I've seen mm. some very. Uh, precisely organized um, areas where they would say we are practicing 5S. And I've seen some operating room cabinets that were just as cluttered and chaotic as as something you might see um, elsewhere. And so th- I think, and, and I mean, no disrespect in saying no, that. So I think a takeaway is that, you know, these organizations are not perfectly and we can be respectful and we can learn from them. But I think it also... Yeah, you know, it sort of teaches me not to put them up on some pedestal. Yeah, that that's and, unfair, either.
1: Right, and and that lean is not, or lean thinking, what the, our construct of that is not inherently easy, no matter what culture you're in, what industry in which you work, or or who you are as a person. I think it really cha- like the principles that came from, you know, what we call lean the Toyota from toyota and what they've evolved it's been a, the combination of so really good thinking both the west and the east and and they challenge all of us at different levels and to to get better um, but it's not inherently easy i think it was interesting too you know you and i've had that we've talked about this quite a bit how you know uh, the hospitals seem to have much more of a a clinical quality circle focus mm-hmm. and not right. not as much focused on the management system, mm-hmm. uh, which we tend to, and at least from my experience in healthcare, focus more on now too—not just how are we doing improvement projects, but how is it a connected system across the organization, the enterprise.
0: Yeah. So I thought that
1: was interesting as well. And
0: I I, I, I think well I was just going to build on what you're saying around TQM where the hospitals yeah you know, I've had some repeat visits and some new visits so in in the three trips. I've seen three or four hospitals each trip. I've probably seen six or seven. I'd have to go back through my notes. And the common theme is total quality management where these hospitals and it's always the hospital managing director or basically CEO Mm -hmm.
1: who's Who's talking about
0: their history, who's always a doctor. I, I heard this last trip that that's by law. Yes, it is by law, which is interesting. But um they were, you know, they all talk about their 20 or 25 or 35 years of consistent, diligent practice of total quality management. And it's clear that it's that that culture and that quality and, and whatever transformation they've, they've made or that they're working on with lean is owned by the CEO, which I, I do find that inspiring. Yeah. And, and that's something you don't always see in a, a quote unquote lean journey uh, in an organization and, and, and other hospitals. Mm. or uh, in, in, in other countries, I mean. Yeah. But uh, I, I think, oh,
1: go ahead. No, I'd say I agree. I think the, the, at least the hospitals I visited and some of which were on your recommendation, I was able to get mm-hmm. connections there. There is passion from the leader around clinical quality and how they deliver that at the at the organization. yeah.
0: But I think, you know, there's that, like I said, the quality circle projects uh, are, you know, so the, the, the pros are they want everybody involved in improvement, um, but they tend to be these six month long, very structured projects. It's almost structured like an A3, but it's more like an A3 that you're doing by meeting occasionally right. over a period right. of six months. Right, right. And, um, you know, one hospital went to, they had a program going on that that's well, it's become part of the way they do things of so what they call small kaizen faster sort of quick and easy Kaizen style uh, mm. improvements where they said, you know, Kaizen can be faster than quality circles. Yes. And, and one hospital, I went to an academic medical center, had a retired Toyota person, and this was formally encouraged by Toyota. They were teaching doctors how to do A3s. So there were things we would recognize as lean practices, but it seems to be built on a, a really solid foundation of TQM more often than than not. Yep. Yes,
1: and, and again, you get back to that word "lean." It, there is not a concept of lean as we know it um, outside of Toyota. Uh, there are elements that different organizations practice, uh, but it's but there isn't this like con lean construct. Uh, and I think that 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 plays a role too in in being able to you know I don't know it what we might expect for when we say lean, you might see elements in different pieces, but not the whole the whole thing outside of Toyota is very, um, it's not so common. And certainly yeah. outside of manufacturing.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting to see how certain practices evolve outside mm. of Toyota, or, you know, uh, things that are framed as lean daily management. Uh, right. I didn't, I mean, I saw metrics posted in, um, some departments. I was, I was taking um, heavy advantage of the Google translate app, which is brilliant and that you can hold yeah. up the live camera right. and it will, it will translate stuff well enough where you say, well, that's a chart about what percentage yeah. of patients have waited this long or not, which it's, it's mind boggling, but you can kind of t- get a better sense of, well, what's on that bulletin board? Like, is that announcements? Is it, and it's, it, it's, you know, I think all the types of things you would see here. Sometimes there's things posted about changes to the process. Um, there's uh, improvements that have been posted in, in some cases. But I, I don't know if that construct mm. of that lean daily management system, mm. if that's an American interpretation. Um, it's it's uh, I'd be I don't, curious to dig into that more.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's like an American interpretation because it certainly exists within Toyota. But we put, we gave words to it from Toyota, uh, and uh-huh. that's what, or at least how it was described. That was what Toyota was doing. Um, it doesn't mean that. So that that's it's more our con, our vision of what lean is comes from Toyota. But you don't see a lot of people changing jobs historically, or roles, or moving between companies, and so that knowledge sharing doesn't mm. happen as often. Historically, in Japan too, so you're not seeing some of that cross pollination where you do see a bit more of that um, in the U.S. and bringing in different ideas from different industries or different com- companies uh, that really doesn't typically happen in Japan. And a, a pro, an upside of that is you have a lot of leadership stability, and I think you know Toyota was able to create its culture because it was growing people within, and they you know, continue to develop the TPS and like the Toyota way and everything that, that, that meant, um, uh, you, know, you don't see, you know, I think one of the challenges, you know, we've, you and I've been talking about too in healthcare is that, you know, there'll be great traction and say a lean management system in a healthcare organization or any other organization. And then the leader changes after a few years and, um, uh, you know, thing then that's the new flavor of the month, unless mm-hmm. that person came in with that perspective as well. And so, I just think it's, an, it's it's interesting that there may be some some of the reasons that lean thinking and practice is not as common throughout Japan is because of that lack of changing of leaders in and, and it, companies. But one of the reasons that, that it's impeding us here in the U.S. is that you know that, that people come in and with a different perspective and, and totally change the system.
0: Yeah well and you have that and then there's the question of you know you come back to the thing i mentioned earlier about um, kaizen and the willingness to speak up and to point out a problem and to change things my very first trip there uh, our one of our tour leaders uh, was uh, an american who had lived was basically raised in japan and lived there a long time yeah with brad Brad. and um, he taught uh, brad schmidt and he taught, um, you know, the the very first thing he taught us was the concept of uh, big harmony, mm-hmm. and that it's a you know a culture based around blending in. You look at how people dress uh, in the, you know, in the yep. subways and their you know for their commutes, and there's a you know certain you know it seemed like the 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 opportunity to express yourself is how tight your tie is tied. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like maybe the rebels have their ties a little bit <laughs> looser, and there were some people <laughs> without ties, but. Um, you know, we about this idea of, you know, the the analogies of you know the tall nail gets hammered down, the tall blade of grass gets mowed first, and it seems like you know that mindset would would make kaizen uh, a challenge. And that's why I wonder about you know Toyota creating a culture of creating mechanisms like the mm. Andon cord, yep, um, to make it very clear, uh, you know, here we want you to speak up and. I think, you know, Americans, again, let me generalize about Americans, you know, might be tempted to say, well, mm, I like to do it. I like to do the work this way. This works for me. And there might be a high willingness to speak up, but organizations might have kind of stifled that over time. What what, what are your thoughts on any of that?
1: Yeah, well, so when I went down to the uh, Toyota Kyushu plant on the southern island of, of Kyushu, there was a video about... Um, oh no! In the early days, and a, a comment that I don't remember it verbatim right now, but really stood out to me in the video was that he got a lot of resistance about some yeah. of these concepts he was bringing in. I think maybe one of them was Andon, but it was about doing work in a different way, and that he was getting a lot of pushback and it, something around like change is always hard, or the people were resistant yeah. and didn't like the change. And to me, that really spoke to it wasn't easy for them <laughs> either. Mm-hmm. this way of thinking and practice was really something different. And, you know, maybe to your point, like pulling the end on cord wasn't an easy automatic practice, but it was through the the routine and the support and, you know, building in that habit and the cultural acceptance at Toyota of this is the way we do business. And this is actually rewarded, um, builds in that, that same culture. And I think it speaks to us that we can create that culture within our organizations as well it just requires Mm -hmm. that commitment and that support yeah um
0: i think it takes that commitment it takes that leadership involvement i mean you know toyota has been successful in the united states and other countries we know there are examples of really great lean cultures in um, the u.s and in other parts of the world so um i don't think it can be said anymore that this only works in japan or that this requires Mm. Some sort of you know uh, innate Japanese characteristics. I mean, I think uh, my my takeaway from it is that you know the, uh, there are pros and cons in different cultures around the world that are more hierarchical or less hierarchical. Um, you know there's there's probably other dimensions that that we could look at, but it seems like organizations have the ability to be intentional about trying to create a culture.
1: Absolutely. It's it's interesting, so I became, uh, real, I've became i become really good friends with uh, Mr. Asao Yoshino, who was a 40 plus year Toyota leader who spent 14 years of his career, I think it was 14, in the United States, and um, he was actually John Shook's first manager in Toyota City, outside of Nagoya. And he we've talked about some of these concepts, because he has a little bit of experience, you know, in both cultures, and also how Toyota was really trying to continue to embed this way of thinking across the organization and something really stood out for me is is how he was ta- telling me about this ConPro program and he's written about it with John on uh, on the lean post as well but how some of the thinking that we would consider just the the norm at Toyota was starting to degrade and that leadership was realizing that some of what we call A3 thinking or problem solving thinking and the manager's role as you know supporting that thinking wasn't happening in the back offices it wasn't happening as strongly in all parts of the organization they put a concentrated effort that Mr. Yoshino was part of over 2 years to really coach and teach people A3 thinking and hoshin development because they were, it wasn't just happening automatically. And so that, again, you really have to put that cultural atten- that attention from the top, and then support people through that. And like, so it's not just, because, it wasn't just magic at, at Toyota that this has become how they hit work, but it was with real intention, and, and practice, and focus.
0: Yeah, Well, and there's a blog post, I'll encourage people, it's on the front page, of the blog still right now, uh, kbjanderson.com. A reminder from a recent visit to Japan, Lean is Not Inherently Japanese is uh, the title of that post. So I encourage people to find that. And as we wrap up here, um, you you mentioned at, at the beginning the tour that you're working on with Ohio State and the MBOE program. There's information about that at the top of, um, of, of your page. But if you can kind of mention, um, you know, the, the tour again, who, who is it intended for? What are some of the types of things you would see?
1: Yeah, great. The, the tour is intended for people who have some knowledge of lean and are trying to practice it in their organizations. Uh, the MBOE program is a one year working professional masters where folks have, been exposed to lean thinking and practice there and so it's it's not a beginner um, entry into lean but really any you know it doesn't require extensive experience either we're going there to look beyond just the tools we're really looking at the social side of lean a lot of the things that you know we've talked about today uh, we're going to be visiting Toyota itself as well as two different suppliers which I think is really interesting we're going to a tier three supplier and a tier two and you can see how Lean Thinking and Practice has really developed at those, those companies. Mr. Yoshino, who I mentioned earlier, is going to join us for three days of the trip, which is really mm-hmm. unparalleled access. He's going to be on the bus with us, not giving a few lectures, but also just spending time with the participants uh, to talk, just talk throughout the day, which I think is really fabulous. We're going back to the town of Ashkaga, which I've written about, which is like the town that considers itself the 5S capital of the world, Mm, to see their own style of-
0: You've blogged about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, about how like 5S is a way they see um, to revitalize their community and their industry and really engage people every day. Um, And then some other great experiences, you know, both in the Nagoya area and the Tokyo area, um, talking with the- the leader, the, pre- the past president of the Shinkansen Cleaning Company, that's famous for the seven-minute miracle.
0: <laughs> uh, you can find trains. that on the
1: like, yeah, the bullet trains of the cleaning of the like the, the turnaround time, which is like both the omotenashi concept of all that you, know, you see them bowing when the train comes and when the people come off, but how they actually turn the train in less than seven minutes and totally yeah. clean, which is fabulous. So anyway, I'm I'm really excited about going back to Japan and being able to share my own experiences with people and, and, connect them with, uh, deeper learning experiences in the Gemba in Japan. So reach out if you're interested in joining us and, uh, hope, hope that you can.
0: Yeah. Well, I encourage people uh, to do that. Um, they find, um, encourage people go to Katie's website, kbjanderson.com. Uh, if people want to contact you directly do you want, can you share email address or what yes. would you recommend?
1: Uh, email is probably the best way and happy to set up a call too Uh, my email is katie k-a-t-i-e at kbjanderson.com so k-b-j-a-n-d-e-r-s-o-n dot com
0: right. well um, thank you Katie again our guest today has been uh, Katie Anderson third time guest on the podcast let's um, boy. uh, we could talk uh, I would love hearing more of your reflections and maybe we will come up with uh, something that triggers us doing Doing Absolutely. And continuing the discussion sometime soon.
1: Great. Great. Thanks, Mark. It's great to hear about some of your recent experiences in Japan, too. All right. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.